Welcome everybody to Dad Talk Live. I'm your host Viz and I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for tuning in tonight to be part of our live audience. Of course, I want to big, give a big thanks and welcome to all of our moderators on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. Thank you so much to you guys. And let me just go ahead and say hello to some of our uh, viewers. We have Philip Thompson, who is with us on uh, yeah, ah, Facebook. Christopher Cunningham is joining us on YouTube. Herbal Might is with us on YouTube. Rock and Roll Children, awesome name, is joining us on Instagram. Jay Manduria is also with us on Instagram. Cinda is also giving us a smiley love face. Welcome to all you guys on all the different platforms. Hope everyone is doing well. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, depending on where in the world you're located. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please go to deadtalklive.com. And as a reminder, tomorrow we are having special guest Scott Renninger from the original Dawn of the Dead. Uh, played Roger in Dawn of the Dead, 1978. It's going to be a fascinating interview, so do not forget to tune in tomorrow starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern U.S. time for our interview with Scott Renninger from Dawn of the Dead. That's uh, I'm really looking forward to that one. want to say hello to Rose, who's just joined us on Facebook. Lindsay Sparks from Canada is also with us on Facebook. Uh, I am the... I'm going to try to pronounce this. I am the Sanpuya. Did I butcher that? I'm sorry if I butchered your username. Saying good morning, Viz. Uh, good morning to you, too. Giving us smiley love faces. So today, now I got to tell you guys this story. I normally do my taxes by February at the latest. But this has been a different year. Uh, you know, last year I didn't have this show. I didn't think I would be having any kind of a show. But anyway, for... All the prior years, I get my taxes done really early on in the year. I looked at the calendar, and March is almost over, and I haven't even, I haven't even started yet. So today, I actually had some free time. I started doing my taxes. April fifteenth, for all of us, you know, living here in the United States, is the big deadline to uh, file your income tax returns. Love this time of year, you know, you gotta love this time of year. But anyway, my head's a little screwy right now. So if I seem a little bit off, that's why. I've been looking at numbers and filling out forms for the last several hours. I'm like, yeah, you know, I actually have some time today. Let me knock this out. Figuring I'll be done in an hour or two. No, no, doesn't work that way. Things never go according to plan. Just like any kind of movie you've seen, any plan that they come up with, it never, never goes according to plan. Shit always starts to go sideways. That's exactly what happened with me today and my ventures into uh, doing my tax returns for the year 2020. Uh, Christopher writes, I feel your pain, Viz. I'm an accountant. Oh, God, I'm going to definitely keep you in mind, Christopher. But, I, you know, I used to rent an office. And my next-door neighbor in the office building was an accountant. 
And between January to mid-April, the guy worked like 20 hours a day. Uh, I don't know if this is the same for you, Christopher, but if you're an accountant, this is your peak time. They Accountants earn like, I would say, 80 to 90% of their yearly income between the months of January and April, in here in the United States at least. The dude worked his ass off every single day. Welcome to Julia Kramer, who's joining us on YouTube, uh, saying, what's up? Christopher says, yes, it's been a very, very busy season. That it has. Today, for some reason, even though it's still Thursday night here in the U.S., all day to me today, it felt like Friday, but it's not Friday. It won't be Friday till tomorrow. I know for some of you it's Friday, but not for me here. So anyway, let's get started. Like I said, I'm feeling a little wacky today. For if, so if I seem a little bit off, you know why. So I had to explain why. All right, let's see. What do we have first on the list? Apparently, last week's Walking Dead episode... It's getting a lot of backlash, and we talked about this in length yesterday, but a lot of people just did not like, especially critics who should know better, did not like or understand what that whole episode was about. Uh, for me, it's, you know, kind of a no-brainer. It's, it was about Princess. It wasn't about the Commonwealth. It wasn't about Yumiko, Ezekiel, Eugene. It was about Princess. They took the opportunity, they had an episode to give us, and they gave us uh, a look into Princess's psyche. And I think that's going to be very valuable moving forward into season 11 of The Walking Dead. So anyway, the title of this article says, Walking Dead Princess Episode Backlash Misunderstands the Bonus Episodes. Could not have said it better myself. Due to the misunderstanding about The Walking Dead's bonus episodes, the Princess episode has faced some serious backlash from longtime fans. And yeah, I mean, there are some brutal fans out there, especially on The Walking Dead, a show that's been on for so many years. And, you know, the people that have stuck with it through thick and uh, thin. When they get an episode like last week's, whether A, they don't get it, B, they just flat out are bored and don't like it, there's always backlash, especially on social media. Anyway, this says The Walking Dead Season 10, Episode 20, has faced a backlash from fans who felt the princess-centric episode wasn't quite up to par with the series' usual apocalyptic energy, but that misunderstands that the, sorry, but they misunderstand the bonus episode. And I'm sorry, if you have been watching The Walking Dead in its entirety for the last 11 years, the kind of episode that we got last Sunday, it's not the first of its kind. In fact, the majority of Walking Dead episodes that we have gotten in 10 seasons have been exactly what we got this last Sunday. Yeah, we have the big wind-ups, okay, that lead to an episode or two or three of action, great storytelling, you know, shit being blown up, 
walker heads exploding and whatnot. But the majority of the Walking Dead episodes are storytelling episodes. That's how it's been from the beginning. They like to wind up the story, take their time, and in my opinion, it's part of the reason of what makes the show so damn good. It's not about, you know, giving us explosions and whatnot every single damn episode. The episode, which is called Splinter, is part of the six extra episodes filmed as an epilogue to season 10 during the height of the coronavirus pandemic. The installment is primarily focused on Princess after she, Yumiko, Eugene, and Ezekiel were surrounded by a group of mysterious people in military-grade armor who looked like the Walking Dead's version of Stormtroopers. (laughs) Spending most of the episode held captive in a train car, Princess fights an internal battle between self-preservation and saving her new friends. Fans were given a look into Princess's history without a single flashback scene. I think that's great. They did not have to give us a single flashback scene to give us a look into her psyche. Uh, And when it's revealed that her interactions with Yumiko, Eugene, and Ezekiel were hallucinations, audiences were given insight into Princess's current mental state now we're not a hundred percent i'm clear that her interactions with yumiko were a complete hallucination they completely could be but we there is no clear line that said oh man she dreamt all that up we know that her interactions with um uh ezekiel that was all made up that was all in her head but as far as Yumiko, maybe Eugene, we're left to sort of figure it out and come to our own conclusion on whether that actually happened or did not. Anyway, continuing on, a portion of The Walking Dead's fan base has protested the slower epilogue episodes, claiming they do nothing to push the story further as the final season approaches. And that was the mo- and that was most exemplified by Princess's installment. And you know what I think it is? I think fans are realizing that the mother show is coming to an end, and they want each and every episode to be absolutely epic. And they're not going to change the way they have been writing this show just because it's the last season. I understand the anxiety, the angst some fans might be feeling as uh, an episode gone by they might feel is an episode wasted. In my opinion, it's not. But they're not going to change how they've been doing things for the last 11 years just because it's the final season. The Walking Dead Season 10, Episode 20 currently stands as the lowest rated episode of the series. On IMDb. Wow. Wow. That kind of surprises me because I can think of at least five to ten episodes that were way worse than the one that we got on Sunday. I liked last Sunday's edition. Frequent complaints claim the episode does nothing to progress the story forward and adds nothing 
of value to the show. Others disapprove of the fact that there wasn't a single death in the episode. And that right there tells you a lot about some of the fans of The Walking Dead. A first in the show's history. The episode also ends in another cliffhanger, further contributing to The Walking Dead's ongoing cliffhanger problem, which has been evident since Glenn's arc in Season 6 included multiple frustrating teases. However, The Walking Dead Season 10's bonus episodes were not intended to be story-focused. They're being referred to as extra episodes by the showrunners for a reason. While they might give audiences very little or no additional information about the Commonwealth or the Reapers, they do provide additional insight into the characters and the current state of the world around them and are stories that might not have been told had the bonuses bonus episodes not been done. They're designed to bridge the gap between season 10 and 11 and possibly to set the groundwork for The Walking Dead's upcoming spin-off shows, especially in the case of Carol and Daryl, who have a confirmed series in the works. And that's very true. Out of the four episodes that we have gotten so far, the two characters that we have seen the most has been Daryl and Carol, even though we didn't see them at all in this last episode. The setbacks of these bonus episodes have come mainly from the serious filming restriction productions faced in 2020, as these six episodes were filmed during the peak of the pandemic. Production was not operating as usual. The series made the executive decision not to fly in any of their European-based actors because of the coronavirus, meaning certain characters like Yumiko were not available for filming. That tells us a lot. That means that the scenes that we got to see this past Sunday with Yumiko uh, were shot before they wrapped. They were not, she didn't come back to the U.S. Remember, Eleanor Matsura was a guest of ours uh, in November. No, or even later. Um, I think it was sometime in November. So Eleanor, who plays Yumiko, was a guest of ours right here on Dead Talk Live around November, and she was in the United Kingdom. So I just assumed that soon after the interview, she flew back to the U.S. to film her little bit of scenes that we saw in this episode. Apparently, that's not how it worked out. The number of cast and crew on set at once was restricted, meaning no closely packed walker hordes. Filming locations were limited and editing takes longer, all for the sake of, of keeping the cast and crew safe while still producing new material. To make the best filming under these restrictions, the Walking Dead showrunners were required to be creative, like keeping Yumiko's presence in season 10, episode 20, limited to her voice and obscured shots. I mean, we did get a clear face shot of her. That was not a body double the whole time. Am I wrong here, guys? I mean, I do clearly remember seeing her face. 
The backlash from fans against the bonus episodes is likely coming from a misunderstanding of both the intent of these episodes and just how difficult filming during 2020 was. To fill the void between seasons, the series got creative and took the time to explore some beloved characters in a more in-depth way that they may have had the privilege to do during a regular season, where there is heavy pressure to move the series forward in every episode. Because The Walking Dead heavily prioritizes the safety of their cast and crew, fans now have the chance to enjoy these, these six unique bonus episodes. And right there, they are completely accurate. We got a full season 10. We got our 16 episodes. They did not have to give us these six bonus episodes. They could have went straight to the end of the Whisperer War and waited a whole other year before premiering season 11. So basically people should stop bitching about it. So let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, Stone Walker's writes episode 20 was incredible. Uh, Christopher says, let it play out. Walking Dead writers know what they're doing. Exactly. The show is not a one and done with each episode. You just got to let the story unfold. These guys normally do not put stuff in there just to fill up airtime. There's a reason. There's a methodical reason behind everything that's done on the show. You just have to be patient and let it play out. So, Christina is with us on Instagram saying hello. Hello to Christina. Dim is also with us. Andrew Valentine, 712, is with us. Welcome, Andrew. As is Marcos, who is waving at us on Instagram. Lindsay Sparks says, I agree with you, Viz. Julia Kramer writes, I just wish the show could go back to season four or five. They can't, okay? I know that's the height of the show. And, Julia, you just got to ask yourself a question. What was it about seasons four and five that made it so special? Was it because it was still fairly new and growing and, yeah, just basically growing on us and becoming really popular and the characters... We're becoming close to our hearts. And now that we're six years later, that has sort of faded as everything does with time. As the directing, I disagree with you, Julia. Julia says better directing. I disagree with you. I mean, The Walking Dead has some amazing directors. Uh, Greg Nicotero has not done any of these six bonus episodes because he has been busy with Creepshow. He's going to be here on our show uh, very soon to talk about the upcoming season of Creepshow. And then you also have Michael Satrazimus, who is the full-time executive producer of Fear the Walking Dead. But yet he still does come over and direct Walking Dead episodes. He directed the season 10 mid-season premiere when they were all trapped in that cave. So I I, I just dis- I respectfully disagree with you, Julia. I think there has nothing to do with the, the directing. I think it's 
us and fans in general. Back in seasons four and five, it was still fairly new. We were, you know, falling in love with these characters because we have seen them. We were seeing them for three, four seasons on into the height of the show, which was season five. Uh, it's just that time makes what was new and exciting fade away. That's why this is not a phenomenon that is just unique to The Walking Dead. That's why, as we said yesterday, a lot of shows wrap after four, five, six seasons, at the most eight. And yesterday, in the article that we read, they used Breaking Bad as the perfect example. Breaking Bad had a story that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they did not push it beyond. It still had huge audiences when they ended it. And they ended it. They ended it. Uh, Walter White died. Uh, you know, if you want to argue the same thing for The Walking Dead, that they should have done the same thing on The Walking Dead and end it, what? Where would you have ended it? Do you end it before we meet Negan? Do you end it after the Savior War? Or do you end it when Kirkman ended the comics, which is which looks like what they're going to do? They are going to follow the entire path that Robert Kirkman took with the comics straight through to the end of the Commonwealth and where Rick died. Now, obviously, it's not going to play out the same way as it played out in the comic books because too much stuff has changed. But, you know, we got to wait and see it. Uh, Julia writes back, I'm sure uh, you know it too. If the show ended in season six or seven, it would be considered one of the best shows of all time. But now it's kind of known as the show that everyone used to watch. Yes. Yes. Not everyone, but I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. It's, I mean, look, we're going into season 11. It's been a long time. Uh, a lot of the fans that are watching the show today, they were like four or five years old when the show uh, premiered back in 2010. So they didn't get to watch it as it aired live, you know, like old timers like myself did. So it's a matter of perspective. It really is a matter of perspective. You know, yeah, they could have ended it at season six or seven. We could have never been introduced to Negan. Uh, season seven is when the ratings really started to go down after Glenn and Abraham's death. But it's a decision, you know, and they decided to go on. Personally, I like that it's still going on. I like the fact that we know when it's ending and... There are a lot of people that are, that are sad that it's ending, but everything has to come to an end. Um, I'm just looking forward to what comes afterwards. I'm looking forward to the season 11. I'm looking forward to the movies. I'm really, you know, on the fence about this Carol and Daryl spinoff. I think there is a very real possibility that might flop. Uh, I know people are going to not like to hear that from me but i that's the one spinoff that i'm really kind of skeptical about uh it all depends on how the writing goes on it i think tales of the walking dead 
is going to be very successful. That's the uh, the spinoff where each episode is going to be just a story on itself, an anthology. I I feel very confident about Tales of the Walking Dead. As far as the Daryl and Carol spinoff, I don't know, man. I really don't. I hope it's a huge success. Uh, we just got to see how it goes. We just have to wait. Khaleesi writes, season 9 and 10 have been freaking awesome. Uh, Christopher writes, I was living in Spain in 2010, and The Walking Dead was one of the few shows I watched. Awesome. Awesome. Um, welcome to Dabby on Instagram. Andrew writes, bring on season 11 in the movies. Yes, the movies. You know, the longer we wait on when they can actually start shooting these movies, at least I want them to at least start filming them. I mean, you know, COVID is supposedly getting better in most parts of the world. Is there a plan? Is there a date set when they're going to shoot the first scene with Andrew Lincoln? What's the holdup? I don't know. Anyway, uh, this was an article that we had up yesterday that we didn't get to called The Honeydew Review of Flame Grilled Rural Horror. A pair of city slickers find predictable trouble in the deepest New England, but Devereux Milborn Shocker has an atmospheric edge. A first uh, feature film, feature from director of short films Devereux Milborn, Co-written by Melbourne and first and film cinematographer producer Dan Kennedy, this is a stylized and unsettling horror jaunt that plays interesting variations on an all too familiar plot premise. Sam and Riley, a good-looking couple in their twenties, played respectively by Sawyer Spielberg. Yep, that is the son of Steven Spielberg and Malin Barr takes the always foolish decision to leave the safety of the city for a camping trip. And I grew up in the city, and I've said this before, I have no desire to go camping. In this case, they elect to pitch a tent somewhere in rural New England because Riley is working on a doctoral thesis about a fictitious fungal infection in wheat that causes gangrene and madness in cows and people. That's something new. However, they soon get a run off their campsite by a local farmer with a flat car battery uh, forces them to seek help at the cluttered homestead of elderly Karen, a keen baker and cooker of meaty steaks and her mute brain-damaged son, played by Jamie Bradley. The city slickers soon find themselves at the mercy of ravenous desires. Why do I, I feel cannibalism coming on? But on the plus side, all the TV sets seem to be perpetually tuned to the last station in the world, showing nothing but old black and white Popeye and Betty Boop cartoons from the Inkwell Studios' heydays in the early 1930s. A glorious period in animation and good match for the body horror that's about to be revealed here. 
And I'm telling you, this is going to be a cannibal movie. Let's go ahead and watch this trailer. I gotta, I gotta check this out. So let's, uh, let's see what this trailer is all about. Something further north. Nope. Sam. Did you leave the hazards on? Did I leave the hazards on? Hi. We were just wondering if we could borrow your phone. Oh, please, please. Where are my manners? You two must be starving. Room for dessert? There's no uh, online or phone service over here. Yeah, creepy is one word for it, Christopher. Sam? You like cardamom? We were over in It's like the New England version of the Texas Chainsaw family. We have been given an opportunity for absolution. So we may be judged Yep, they're cannibals. Told you. Cannibalism. Oh well. Uh... It looks interesting, but, you know, you got to question that couple. I'd rather just spend the night out on the road, even if it's just, you know, walking all night long, rather than going to that house. They were looking for a phone. She obviously doesn't have a phone. She tells them they don't have a phone. So why the hell do they go inside? I wouldn't. Anyway, Spirit Away, 10 Ways. It's actually a horror movie. Now, this is... A movie called Spirited Away, upon closer inspection, beloved anime classic, Spirited Away included enough terrifying scenes and themes to deem it a horror movie. And there's plenty of anime horror out there, more than fair share. Uh, Hiyo Miyazaki's beloved 2001 fantasy masterpiece, Spirited Away has maintained its hold over audiences long after its release, making it one of the most iconic animated films and international movies of all time. On top of the many accolades it has received and merch that crowds the corners of any fan's living quarters, part of what has made the film so memorable and such an inspiration to many of all ages is its boundless and shameless creativity in the design and characters of world building. And I guess it just took somebody 20 years to say that that it's actually a horror anime. For those of us that have seen it, it is a classic. And uh, no doubt in my mind it was a horror anime. <laughs> anyway, let's see. 
American Horror Story Season 10 enlists supermodel Kaya Gerber. All right? We're getting close. Well, if you consider the fall close. On the release of American Horror Story, we got a title for American Horror Story Season 10. It's going to be called Double Feature. For the first time in the show's history, they are doing two stories in one season. And how they're doing it, we have no idea. Are they just doing the first half of the episodes, first set of episodes, be story A, and the last half of the episodes be story B? Is each episode going to have story A and B in it? No idea. But 19-year-old supermodel Kaya Gerber is joining the cast of American Horror Story in its upcoming Season 10 title, Double Feature. Horror Story co-creator Ryan Murphy shared a new casting announcement for the show's upcoming season that's set to focus equally on the terrors of sea and sand. And... You know, when they say sand, they basically, I'm, I'm assuming they mean sea and land. One story is going to be set at sea, and the other one is going to be based on land. That really just doesn't give us any kind of useful information. But anyway, double feature season 10 of American Horror Story will feature a role portrayed by supermodel Kaya Gerber, as confirmed by Murphy, the creator, posted the news with the caption, very excited to announce that Kaya Gerber is joining the American Horror Story family. And those of you that don't know, here is a picture of the young supermodel. Uh, AHS will be Gerber's first television role, having only done modeling work previously. And it's not a stretch. Plenty of models have gone on to acting. Uh, Jamie King who is now known for Black Summer, also a former guest of ours. She started out as a big uh, supermodel, got into acting. She's been in a ton of horror movies, and she's a great actress. AHS will be uh, her first television role. Murphy recently confirmed that the upcoming season of AHS will be split into two thematic stories announcing the show's official season as double feature. While not too much is known about the upcoming season for the horror anthology series, Murphy has shared a sneak peek at its characters and its future monsters. As confirmed by Morphe Murphy's shared set photos, American Horror Story double feature will also contain vampire monsters. Although the context to these Nosferatu-looking beings wasn't clarified in terms of the upcoming Season 10's plot. Now, let's, you know, play a little game here. Are the vampires going to be in the sea-based story or the land-based story? I go for the sea. I think we're going to see vampires on, at, on the sea. You know, just like Dracula's famous trek in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula when he was uh, put in his coffin and shipped from Transylvania all the way up to London. In addition to conforming, confirming that the show's upcoming season will be split into two parts, Murphy also told fans that the castings might not be the same throughout season 10. What exactly does that mean? 
At the time of this writing, it's not been confirmed which announced Season 10 actors will star in which part of the upcoming season, nor which roles they will portray. Season 10 will, however, see the return of alums Kathy Bates, awesome, Billy Lord, amazing, Leslie Grossman, Sarah Paulson is back. Thank God I was not a big fan of American Horror Story 1984. And I'm sure if Sarah Paulson was in it, she would have found a way to make it great. Sarah Paulson is the heart of American Horror Story. What an amazing actress. Evan Peters, another great actor. Lily Rabe, Adina Porter, Angelica Ross, Finn Whitrock, and Francis Convoy. So it looks like they're bringing back a huge part of the cast that's been in many, many prior seasons of American Horror Story. Looking forward to it. Gerber won't be the only new face joining the Supernatural Anthology family. In February 2020, it was announced that Macaulay Culkin will be joining the crew. And that's right. For those of you that are old enough, the Home Alone actor is going to be joining the crew, the cast of American Horror Story in Season 10 in an undisclosed role. At the time of this writing, it's also unclear which role Culkin and Gerber will play in the upcoming season. How many of you guys liked Lady Gaga? Uh, I mean, she was great in the as a vampire in the, um, the hotel uh, American Horror Story. What did you guys think of Lady Gaga in the uh, Roanoke American Horror Story? Where she basically played like this elemental seductress spirit that lived in the woods and seduced people. I thought it was great. Yep, Khaleesi also writes, loved her. Uh, Julia writes, I thought it was actually good. Uh, Khaleesi also writes, an interview with a vampire when the start and Louie took off. Uh, Lindsay Sparks writes, I saw this movie. It was a good movie. You're talking about the anime movie. It was. CC writes, Gaga did a great job. Lady Gaga is just talented. You know, she can sing. She can act. She's just pure talent. In January 2020, AHS was greenlit for three additional seasons. Wow. Normally, when you get to this point of a show... And American Horror Story, this is season 10. So they are into like the Walking Dead territory on how many years they've been on the air. And they've just got the green light for three additional seasons. Uh, I believe that includes season 10. So we're getting a season 10, 11, and 12 of American Horror Story. So whatever plot line comes next will certainly not be its last story for some time. American Horror Story uh, 10 stars, again, all the people we mentioned. It will premiere on FX in 2021. My guess is going to be sometime between August or October. More than likely, it's going to be October. Uh, so not only are we getting AHS in October... We're also more than likely getting The Walking Dead Season 11 starting in October as well. Welcome to Kunth, Kunth, K-U-N-T-H on Instagram. 
Had to make sure I pronounced that correctly. Uh, he says what's happening. Uh, Leo Potisa from Brazil is with us on Instagram. Hello. Moises is also with us from Brazil. GFG is giving us a thumbs up on Instagram. Welcome to all you guys on Instagram. Um, Lindsay on Facebook writes, yes, Lady Gaga was awesome in American Horror Story. She was amazing as that head vampire in Hotel. She was just the perfect person to play that character. Anyway, let's see. The Thing another and nine other claustrophobic horror movies. Damn, we're 41 minutes already into this. Let's just go, let's just quickly go through this list. The Thing and nine other claustrophobic horror movies. Number 10, The Thing, 1982. I guess the claustrophobia thing is them being trapped in the Arctic. Number 9, 10 Cloverfield Lane. All right, can definitely see that. Number 8, Misery. Well, yeah, he was being held against his will. Number seven, Saw, two guys locked in a bathroom, chained. Definitely see claustrophobia there. Hush, okay, definitely. Another Stephen King adapter right there. Number five, The Descent, taking place underground in a, in a series of caves and tunnels. Number four, Alien, trapped in space. Number three, Repulsion. I have not seen this one. This is the first installment of Roman Polanski's Apartment Trilogy. Repulsion stars Catherine Deneuve as a woman with a phobia of men who's left alone in her sister's apartment while she goes on a romantic getaway. She also starts to lose her mind with hallucinations of hands reaching out of the walls to grab her. And this is 1965. And as various suitors refuse to leave her alone, she starts to kill them. Sounds interesting. Number two, Get Out. Very popular film. The 2017. And number one, even though they were in a gigantic hotel all by themselves, supposedly just to keep an eye on the place over the winter months. That's right. Number one on the list is 1980 The Shining. I don't know. Yeah, you're trapped in the Overlook Hotel. You're snowed in. You can't get out. But to use the term claustrophobia, uh, I don't know about that. Don't know about that. Uh, let's see. In the Earth trailer, Ben Wheatley returns to his grisly horror roots. Let's see if we can just watch this trailer. If it's listed here, we did not get a chance to watch this trailer yesterday, even though I had brought this up. I don't think we watched it yesterday, so let's go ahead and watch it today. He told me his story. These are his memories. Can you feel him now? In the earth? No, I don't know what you mean. I think he do. So what are you working on? Searching ways of making crops more efficient. Funny place to study crops in a forest. We had to send a rescue party in to get a group out a couple of months ago. They got lost. 
Why didn't they use GPRS? There's no phone reception in there. People get a bit funny in the woods sometimes. You're worried she's going to get Welcome, Eric. Yeah, who is it? It's a local folktale. She's the spirit of the woods. An elemental. That's what the spirit of the woods is called, an elemental. Wake up. Something's there. Listen. Someone's watching us. something in the woods. He wants to talk. What do you want? Everything seems to just keep us here. Looks interesting. Looks interesting. But, you know, we've seen some great trailers. The things with trailers is they can be very deceiving. Uh, you just take some of the best scenes of a movie, put in some good music, and you can make even the crappiest movie look absolutely amazing in a trailer. But that looks interesting. It's about, an, from what I gather from the trailer and what we just read, it's about an elemental spirit that is guarding the woods. So, anyway, let's see. Looking at the time that we have left, let's talk about our topic for today, at least for a little bit, okay? Urban legends. This is something that we have covered before, and we're sort of going to take a little bit of a different spin. Uh, horror movies with urban legends attached. Of course, there's Robert the Doll, one of the inspiration for Chucky in Child's Play. Uh, and then it's, it's different from the uh, the Warren's Raggedy Annabelle case. The doll, uh, the actual doll, can be visited in Key West, Florida. The legend of Robert has spawned two films. Uh, then you've got the Poltergeist Cursed, the Curse, the urban legend of the Poltergeist set uh, using real corpses from India which also occurred on the set of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Several actors have died since the beginning of, produ of production uh, through to just a few years afterwards. Just one of those weird occurrences, probably just a coincidence, but yeah, you know, when you have heard, we have heard many stories when it comes to uh, production that there has even been uh, uh, Eli Roth in his history of horror this past season that aired in October. He did an entire episode called Cursed Movies, where from the start of filming to the end, there were just too many coincidences of things going wrong, people mysteriously dying, 
accidents and whatnot that cannot be explained as just coincidences because there were just too many of them. Too many of them. And then, let's see, you have the Dulan. That's an Irish Gaelic folklore. The Headless Horseman, whose appearance in the Irish folklore predate Washington Irvin's creation. Afraid of gold, he uses a whip made of a spine. That's twisted. Someone using a whip made out of a human spine. Now, unlike Irvin's um, creation, the Dulan is actually a fairy or a creation of the Dark One, Crom Dub. This is an Irish Gaelic tale. And then, of course, Bloody Mary. All right, we all know the story of Bloody Mary in the game Look in the Mirror, say Bloody Mary, a popular horror game, appeared in, actually appeared in season one of Supernatural. And I know we have a lot of viewers here who are fans of Supernatural. The game carries several, you know, carries a resemblance to what we saw in the movie Candyman, uh, one of the oldest horror games that kids have played. The legend got its own feature film in the 2008 title, The Legend of Bloody Mary. And then The Black-Eyed Children. It's another horrific story of panhandling and hitchhiking children with black eyes and pale skin, originating from tabloid journals. A newer urban legend that has existed from the 1980s, it grew to prominence in the 90s. The legend was featured in 2012's Kickstarter, funded indie horror movie called Sunshine Girl and the Hunt for the Black-Eyed Children. And it just goes on and on. Like the, the Omen movie had a famously cursed production. That was part of, uh, of the list. Uh, Gregory Peck, who played the father, suffered a loss after agreeing to take on the role, nearly dying after lightning struck the plane he flew to get to the filming location. Uh, a special effects assistant was decapitated in a crash similar to the decapitation in the film where they were in Israel and uh, the journalist uh, is leaning over. You guys remember the scene, the truck that's in front of him, the parking brake comes undone. There's a big sheet of glass, car slams to a dead stop, glass goes flying out the, uh, the, the bed of the truck slices his head right off loved the omen uh we got a little bit of a video here that talks about some of these urban legends so let's go ahead and take a quick peek at this this is from our friends at what culture you would think that after all these years just the words based on a true story would be enough to strike fear into the hearts of cinema goers the world over even when you know their exaggerations, for entertainment's sake, nothing is scarier than a little seed of truth when it comes to horror movies. And sometimes, those seeds branch out from the confines of the screen and take root in the real-life production process, too. We We've all heard tell of cursed movie sets and actors haunted by their film parts that only deserve a dismissive scoff. But still, 
there are some legendary production stories out there that are just too inexplicable and weird to simply be brushed aside once you get to the bottom of their sensational stories. I mean, it's either that or they're a really good marketing stunt, but it is up to you to decide. Ooh. So let's crack open this real-life Necronomicon and take a look at the horrors of reality. I am the mirrored reflection of Bloody Ash from What Culture, and these are seven horror movies with creepy urban legends. 7. Rosemary's Baby Was Cursed by Witches Back in the day, making a big movie about religion and the devil would stir up all sorts of controversy. And if you ask producer William Castle, he will tell you that controversy wasn't just levelled from our plane of existence. He was certain that supernatural effects had taken hold of the film production, with a series of dark events playing out that suggested I'm the film's sorry, e- I, I gotta say this. For us Americans, controversy is controversy. <laughs> I love the British. I love the British. Okay? Please don't get offended at that. Ball was being reflected in reality. First, the composer of the film was knocked into a coma at a party, falling from an escarpment and dying four months later in a strange parallel to Rosemary's friend Hutch. Then Castle, as the man who'd sourced the story and functioned as one of the founding pillars of its creation, suffered terribly with gallstones to the point that he had to get them surgically removed, and Damn. has never had a hit movie since. By far the most infamous and scary event to unfold from filming is of course the death of heavily pregnant Sharon Tate, however, wife to director Roman Polanski that was murdered in their home by Charles Manson and his followers. She had appeared in the film as an extra, and was quoted as calling the devil beautiful by a friend after her passing. The links between all of the supernatural elements of the movie and their real-life tragedies are terrifying to tie together. William Castle has said of the project that the story of Rosemary's Baby was happening in real life. Witches, all of them, were casting their spell. 6. The Dibbuk Box in the Possession is Real The story of a haunted box in the possession might seem like a simple warning against buying weird crap you don't need from garage sales. But the true story that influenced its creation is far different. The real-life counterpart is a simple warning against buying weird crap you don't need from the far less romanticized eBay, which is as fair a lesson as you're ever going to get in life, really. First located in Spain by a Holocaust survivor, a wine cabinet was passed down through a family and consequently sold at an estate sale after her death. Bought by writer Kevin Manis after learning they didn't want it as it was haunted. He popularized the term Dibbuk box with his purchase and documented his encounters with the Dibbuk, aka a Jewish evil spirit intent on possession after opening the box, giving the movie that big shiny true story banner that audiences just love to buy into. Alas. And listen, the Dibbuk box, I'm going to give it, I actually want to spend a little bit of time on this. The Dibbuk box was. Uh, Supposedly created in Poland during World War II. It was the the people that were being terrorized by the Nazis. They conjured up a Dybbuk to protect them against the evil Nazis. So, I guess you conjure evil to fight evil or whatever. They ended up, after a while... Uh, sealing that demon, the Dybbuk, into this wine box. Anyway, that box right now is owned by Zach Baggins. For those of you that like to watch uh, ghost hunting shows and paranormal investigation shows, 
Gas, uh, Zach Baggins is the lead investigator in the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures. He owns a haunted museum in Las Vegas, Nevada. So if anybody out there actually wants to see the real-life Dybbuk box, it is on display in Zach Baggins' Las Vegas Museum of Haunted Items. So it's a little bit of info. You know, so you the events see of the it, possession right aren't really akin to what the Dybbuk box did in real life. Whilst eminently creepy, the Dybbuk box spread a sense of discomfort and illness more than outright haunting people, apparently collectively causing hair loss, nightmares, a stroke, hives, welts, coughing up blood, and events around the home like lights burning out throughout history of being passed curse. around. It's suspicious that a writer is the one to birth a legend, but in either case, it is actually real enough sexy as a cabinet. And the box has now been resealed and safely bald stored in a sexy. museum. <laughs> Just oh, stood up my words. would be proud. Sexy Five, is bald. The omen yeah, was prophesied to wreak havoc on its actors. It is sexy Just to like be bald. Just like with Rosemary's Baby, if you incite the devil in your movie, chances are he's not going to be happy about it. And the set of The Omen found that out the hard way. Perhaps one of the most infamous and catastrophic spooky set stories on Eric this list. Eric is laughing. I had totally about screwed the strange that events up. That plagued the film from the very beginning, <laughs> really culminating in a car up. crash that mirrored the decapitation of Keith with a sheet of glass in the film. SFX consultant John Sexy Richardson was involved bald. in a crash that killed yeah, his assistant Liz like Moore in though. much the same way. Waking up after the incident that sliced her in half to see the sign Omen in the Netherlands at the 66.6 kilometers point. And that was nowhere near the start of it. Star Gregory Peck's son died by suicide right after he agreed to take the part. And then lightning struck his plane when he flew out to the filming Which location. Which is what we just said. So basically, you know, urban legends, uh, a lot of uh, things going wrong on sets uh, during filming, before filming, after filming. There are some movies where, yeah, they are just coincidences. But then you have other movies where... Like uh, The Crow and what happened to poor Brandon Lee with the filming of The Crow. That movie was cursed. That movie was cursed and it had a really, really tragic outcome. And we lost Brandon Lee, who is the son of Bruce Lee, for those of you that don't know. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. This hour flies by every night ever so quickly. For more information, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. To be a part of our live audience, uh, you can find us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, uh, Monday through Friday, starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern U.S. time. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow. And until then, guys, stay safe and always stay walking. Good night.